Dawn and Steve, welcome Susie Larson to aid us on our next steps with Jesus pilgrimage that we're all on as we explore God's invitation to flourish, heal and know his peace in a way that changes us forever. Oh, Susie Larson, we're so thankful to have you with us. Happy Valentine's Day, sis. Good to have you. Good to be back with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay. So we're looking via Zoom and I am like, okay, girl, where's your pink? Where's your red? You're celebrating Valentine's Day in blue today. What's wrong with that? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I didn't even think about it, but again, I can't compete with you. You got red and then you got a tiara on your mic. So, I mean, you sparkle every day. Yes, you got it. (laughs) Sparkling every day. Well, and really your latest work, waking up to the goodness of God, to me says, let's look to the Lord for our sparkle, our strength. Mm -hmm. His goodness is what makes a difference in our lives. And you want to talk about bracing for impact and holy expectancy. That's that's some pretty big words on any given day. What is it that you thought was important for us to hear about bracing for impact? Well, you know a little bit about my backstory. I don't know that your listeners all do, but, you know, given that I have a history, I contracted Lyme disease 30-something years ago, and it was a pretty big battle for me. I had some childhood trauma prior to when I was a little girl, jumped by teenage boys, beaten mercilessly, and I had a few things like that, that... Um, when they happened, there was just the repeated message that that enemy can get to me anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And so even when I became a Christian, that still felt true. It was like it was a lie that was sitting buried in my soul. And, then, you know, I, I battled pretty bad with the limes in the early years as a mama for about seven years. Then about 20 years, I just managed. And I was a fitness person. I'm a fighter. I wanted to live. And so I did everything I could you know, to get my life back. But I would say three, four times a year, sometimes five times a year, every few months, it seemed my face would start to go numb. My arms would start to go numb. The vision would blur. The room would spin. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. And I'd get knocked over and could get out of bed for a few days and then felt crummy for a few weeks. And that was sort of the cycle. And then, um, as you know, eight, nine years ago, I had a pretty massive health relapse and it was Lyme and then some, and it turned out to be people with chronic Lyme can't process mold. And I was unknowingly repeatedly exposed to black mold and it affected my brain. So as a, I'm a live talk show host, you know, you have to have an economy of words. You've got to be able to think on your feet as you both well know. And at the same time was writing a book and forgot how to spell keywords. I'd be on the air and was putting the wrong words in my sentences and my tongue would go numb. My head would go numb. And I'd have these surges of neurological symptoms that were so terrifying that there were times I would, I didn't want to wake my husband up because my heart's beating out of my chest irregularly, numbing and shooting up my neck, feeling like I'm on the verge of a stroke. And I'm passing this floor back and forth, quoting scripture all night long. And finally by morning, I'd say something like, you have to kill me or heal me because I can't keep doing this. And even though I was still getting up in the morning, spending time with the Lord, I was serving him with all my heart on the air. This is before COVID, right? And I had a friend tell me very lovingly and compassionately, it seems like you're bracing for impact. It seems like you are waiting for the next shoe to drop. And I, and she was so compassionate that I really felt like I encountered the compassion of Jesus. So there was no defensiveness in me, but it was like curious to me because, excuse me, I am... Um, I thought that posture was a natural result of an unpredictable disease. But because I encountered such compassion with no judgment and it flickered something in me, I decided to bring it with the Lord and to said, is there more here? And God showed me 
that I was disappointed in him. He showed me my heart. I was hurt. I, I couldn't believe that he'd allowed it to go to this lengths again at this age of my life and stage of my life. I didn't know that. I wasn't harboring an offense. I mean, some people who have no fear of God will flippantly say, I'm mad at God, you know, and that's immaturity. And, you know, eventually hope you grow out of that. I wasn't like that. But I think it was, excuse me, I've got a little post-nasal drip this morning. <laughs> uh, I think it's kind of, I would liken it to a, a wife who loves her husband deeply, but has been profoundly hurt by him. And it's just not, that's not been a wound that's been addressed yet. That's sort of how it felt. And when I start to dig in and go, Lord, show me more, um, I really learned to move from bracing for impact to anticipating his goodness. And we can talk a little bit about how I did that. I didn't set out to write a book. I was trying to really change my posture before God and something changed in me. And my husband's like, your eyes look different. You, you, you carry yourself different. And I could feel physiologically my body starting to heal. Little did I know the world would be thrust into a season where everybody's bracing for impact. And so I do feel like the timeliness of this book is from the Lord. Well, the book is called Waking Up to the Goodness of God. Susie is a best-selling author. She's a national speaker and a host of Susie Larson Live on many, many radio stations across the country. And when we come back in just a moment, Susie, I do want to talk a little bit about how when that light bulb went off for you and you realized that you were disappointed in God, and because I think a lot of us have been there at some point in life, and there's something in us that maybe feels like, am I allowed to feel this way? I, I, I don't want to feel this way, but yet those feelings are so raw. Those emotions are so real to us, and we know that something should be different, but we don't know how to get there. So I want to talk a little bit about how we begin to make that change. Coming up in just a few minutes, it's Don and Steve in the morning on Moody Radio. Well, we're talking with Susie Larson this morning. Susie is a best-selling author, a speaker, radio host. She's written Waking Up to the Goodness of God, and we'll link you to that through our Facebook page. But Susie, you were just describing a scenario where you realize that you're disappointed with God. And probably all of us can relate to that in some way. Circumstances may be different, but we come to this sometimes surprising realization like, oh man, I am disappointed at God. I am angry at Him because He has not been treating me the way I think I deserve or answering the prayer that I've been praying so faithfully. And I've been trying to live and serve him well. And so as that realization happened for you, how did you begin to think and live differently? Such a good question, Stephen. I want to just, you know, say too, when you're in that mode, like you said, going out to the break, we don't want to admit it. If, if you're a serious follower of Christ, you don't want that to be true for you. But if you don't resolve the hard parts of your story in light of God's love, they're like open loops in your brain. And they're the very places the enemy can get in to accuse God of things that he's actually guilty of. And we have to be able, God already knows our hearts. He knows what's in us. And so, and the thing is, when you don't deal with that stuff, what you will naturally do is default to temporary pleasures. You will find some way to numb out, some way to treat yourself because God's not treating you. Just pay attention to your coping mechanisms. And I address that in the book uh, because you, you think God's not doing a new thing, so I'm going to do a new thing for myself. And that is heartbreaking when you think of that every good gift comes from him. So that's how I started when I'm like, Lord, show me a way out of this because, you know, it's literally not good for your cells or your soul or your physiology to be living bracing for impact. And you can't at once receive from God and live with elbows locked. You can't do it. And uh, that's why the enemy wants us constantly stuck in fight flight. So the first thing that he showed me to do is just to look around and notice every good gift 
in my life is from him, but not just like count my blessings to amass my blessings, but to see each blessing like a gift with a gift tag to Susie from God, a, a gift that's tethered to a good God who's meticulous, miraculous, and very specific in knowing what would bless me. And I started to realize everywhere I was looking, I was seeing handiwork of his. And it brings me back to Jeremiah uh, 17. I'll go to verse 7 before to 6, but it says, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, who have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. They are like trees planted by streams of living water. Their roots go down into the water. Their leaves stay green. They're not bothered by the heat or by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they continue to bear fruit. My paraphrase, but that's a point saying they're not impacted by the elements because they're so tapped into the life-giving stream of God. But the previous verse, verse six, it says, cursed are those who trust in man. And, and you, you can expand that to mean man-made solutions, you know, your own flesh's ability somehow to hike yourself up by the bootstraps um, and political systems, anything where your eyes are off of God and on a man-made solution. It's like you're a stunted shrub in the desert. And the New King James Version reads the closest to the original. And it says, when you do that, you don't see goodness when it comes. So this is the thing is when you're bracing for impact, when you're looking at your symptoms or your struggles and you're counting your days in the desert like the Israelites did, you will not see goodness when it comes. But God says, you see, I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Though it springs up. If you don't perceive it, it means you likely could miss it if you're not looking for it. So I just started to look around. Somebody once said, if tomorrow you only woke up with the blessings you thank God for today, what would you have? So I started there and I just thought, what would I miss tomorrow if I, that I'm taking for granted today? And it showed me, Steve, how wrapped up I was in my struggle. And it was, I had to repent. I really did. But then I started to thank God and I felt my whole body relax because it gave me clarity about who God is and who the enemy is. And suddenly the distinction became very clear. So that was my first step. Oh, that perspective shift. When you look at those gift tags that say to Susie from God, you realize counting your blessings is more than just an old hymn. Is that part of the strategy, Susie, that you were talking about when you are looking at rejecting or accepting the things in life? Is Was that part of beginning to say, okay, Lord, I'm seeing this more clearly because you're showing me? Yeah, I love that, Don. You know, yes, because this is a 40-day journey, and I'm asking even take 60 if you need take your time. Better to go slow than fast, because what you'll realize is everybody has trauma. Everybody needs healing. And that particular chapter, strategically accept and reject, I, what I'm believing and praying for as you go through the book, new things will surface as they will. And that one, strategically accept and reject, shows you that you have a choice about the stuff that you let into your heart and mind and the stuff that you reject. But when you're in that kind of self-obsessed mode, you don't discern which is the enemy or your voice or the world or your flesh, right? But when you start to tap into the goodness of God, you more clearly discern the schemes of the enemy because he's constantly trying to plant lies in your life. His native tongue is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a liar. And there, as my friend Maria says, there's a pattern of theft in everybody's life. And all you got to do is go back to your childhood to see how he's conditioned you to believe his lies. And when you start to pay attention to wait a minute, this thought, is it bringing life and peace? Well, then it's not from God. I'm strategically rejecting that. Even if it doesn't feel true that I'm the object of his affection, that I should be wearing a tiara like you, Don. <laughs> if that, even if that doesn't feel true, I'm accepting that. I'm accepting acceptance because I'm believing God is who he says he is. 
uh, action steps, action steps to follow the Lord, allowing him to work in our lives. This is the practical truth of what it means to follow the Lord. Susie Larson helping us do that and helping us with a resource, waking up into the goodness of God. I just so appreciate how clear he makes things when we start to truly partner with him, work with him, not just against him, which our nature is so prone to do. And Susie Larson is joining us to talk about when we really wake up to the goodness of God, because some of us have been going through life and even living what we think is a faithful Christian life, trying to serve God, love him well, but we're living in that posture of just waiting for the next shoe to drop. Susie, you you found yourself there, and you, you said things began to change, number one, as you recognized it, and number two, as you began to look around and see the good gifts that God has given you. That began to kind of take your eyes off of yourself onto him. What, what else helped you in that process of being able to recognize God's goodness and quit living in that posture of fear? Yeah, I love that question. Uh, really asking God to show me the story that I've been telling myself that's not true. You know, mm-hmm. to show me the lies I picked up when life let me down. And that's extremely important because you don't realize the narratives that you have around, especially painful parts of your story, but sometimes even the, the broader part of your story that's actually not true and in disagreement with God. It's not in agreement with God. You know, a friend once said to me years ago, she says, Jesus is interceding daily for you. The devil is accusing you daily. You're the one who casts a deciding vote. And so when I when I start to picture whose line am I getting in and who, whose agreement am I standing in? And, uh, you know, at the end of each chapter, there's short readings, but there's a faith declaration and then a brain retrain statement. And the faith declarations are really to help reframe your story. Like for me, because of the, the trauma really of how this health battle has been. It has been traumatic. I had to go to counseling after this last relapse for a few sessions just to sort through how scary it was for me and just what the toll it took on me. And so one of mine that God gave me, because I just said, show me the story I'm telling myself. uh, This one was the cross has spoken, the curse is broken, Jesus has set me free. Now there are, again, a number of these at the end of each chapter. And the point is for you to find one that that resonates, that speaks to your story. But your your narrative might be, you know, this kind of thing runs in the family. Nothing ever works for me. I'm so fat, you know, I'll never get ahead. I'm on the outside of the circle. And you think these things and say these things without thinking about it. And I'm kind of a, a brain science nerd. You know, the big joke is I'm not a doctor, but I play one on radio. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I've read a lot. So basically it makes me an expert. But anyway, again, I'm surrounded by doctor friends, though, and I'm fascinated by brain science because I needed to get my brain back. I mean, I needed to get it back. I took an online course for limbic rewiring of my brain. I mean, I had some, they did an MRI, had some brain damage from this wretched mold. And so I'm like, I got stuff to do. But when I really started to dig in, I started to learn about these neural pathways. And when you're just automatically, even if you're privately thinking thoughts that bring weakness, that don't strengthen you, they're paving paths in your brain that affect you physiologically. Let me just say this one more thing. Let's say you say uh, just uh, you're you're watching TV and you hate the politician and you spew some toxic junk to yourself in your room. That sets off a chemical reaction in your body. It affects you physiologically in the same way when you smile and you forgive someone or they bud in line and you choose to die to yourself and live for Christ. That literally affects you physiologically. 
So that next step was, Lord, show me the lies I picked up when life let me down and show me the stories I'm telling myself that aren't true and show me the thoughts that are weakening me. And it was a journey just one by one. And he was so kind. And with the skill of a surgeon, he would say, this is the next thing we're going to look at. Okay. This is the next thing. And it was a journey of just redemption and healing. It's so huge. I'm listening and I'm just completely zoned in on what you're saying, Susie, because of the truth, the brain science the Lord's allowed us to learn about the retraining of the brain. And I'm often very curious about we as believers and how we will marinate in the world and will allow so many things to define our day, define our thinking. And when we talk about speaking truth over our lives, and as you're naming it, retrain the brain, the effort that we give seems to be pretty minimal, and yet we're in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Yeah. Right. We're so passive about the crud that we put up with with the enemy, you know, and we just, we just sort of let him march into our house and knock things over. And we think we have no recourse, but we have all authority given to us by Jesus. We've got the weapons of our warfare and we got to get our game on a little bit and get a little feisty about this. And one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is you keep hearing stories of high profile Christians falling. And it makes me think of David, when most kings go out to war, he stayed back. Now I write in the book, a recipe for vitality is deep rest and purposeful faith, but that's different than a life of ease. When you're choosing to be, to, to self-soothe, like we were saying at the beginning of the show, when you're not dealing with your stuff and you get your buzz or your hit from status, popularity, or whatever you're doing, you're literally reinforcing captivity and weakening yourself. And so what I've been finding myself lately you guys is on my knees thanking God for the battles. I've I have found a way to thank him in them, but lately I've been thanking him for them because while I'm doing hand-to-hand combat, I shudder to think about where I would be if I would have opted for an easier path. And that hand-to-hand combat made me a better warrior. So some somebody listening today needs to rise up, get your game on, and say, not today, Satan, and not tomorrow either. Mm-hmm. And I know that the Word of God is the sword that you're wielding. Susie Larson yep. encouraging us with waking up to the goodness of God. And as you can imagine, there is a lot to this resource. Connecting you through our Facebook page, Don and Steve in the morning. Also, if you text 800-555-7898, we can send you the link for the info as well. What I love about the sister we're talking to today, Susie Larson, is that, Susie, you have learned the lessons that you share with us by walking them. You're in the battle. You know it's a spiritual battle. And you have said something that totally has me jazzed because I think it resonates so true. We have learned, as even Christ followers, a helplessness. And there is vitality in Christ to be had. Help us go from what we've maybe learned unwittingly to a life of vitality and following and trusting Jesus. Yeah. Thank you for that. And it's probably one of my favorite little chapters in this book. It's called Recipe for Vitality. And I look at the the Israelites and the way scripture described their uh, brutality and their their slavery was brutality, oppressive, relentless. Um, and the whole goal was to break them down. So they cried out to God. Their cry reached God's ears. He mobilized Moses, who had his own identity issues, but he was so submitted to God. Those things got solved along the way because it says that, that he no longer feared. There got to be a 
point where he no longer feared the king's anger. But something didn't change in the Israelites. They had a learned helplessness. Slavery was baked in. And so when God emancipated them, I want you to think about all that he did for them to set them up for success. I mean, he loaded them down with the riches of Egypt. How is that even possible when you think these were their oppressors, but they wanted them gone so bad that they're like, here, take all this stuff. That also says not a feeble one was among them. My layman's thought on that is that when the angel of death was passing through the land, they were under the blood. I think their bodies were healed. You know, I was a fitness professional for over a decade. And I'm just telling you, based on what they endured, there's no way there were not herniated discs, plantar fasciitis, and parasites, and blocked colons, and all kinds of physiological problems from the physical and emotional trauma they went through, not a feeble one among them, that has to be a miracle. And then they saw the Red Sea part. They saw they were front row seat to see all these miracles. And so why did the first generation not make it into the promised land? When you jump to Hebrews and it says, the promise did not benefit them because when it came, it wasn't met by faith. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. God wove into the narrative. I know you've been under backbreaking slave labor, but Sabbath rest is going to be a part of the new story. And he wanted them to learn a deep abiding rest and then an engaged purposeful faith. In the Psalms, it says they refused to enter the promised land because they refused to believe God's promise to love and care for them. What did they do? They stayed in their smallness of their tents, grumbled and complained and refused to obey the Lord. Scholars say that though their fears were understandable at first, they clung to them so tightly that they became rebellious. Their fears made them rebellious. That confronts me because I've battled fear on varying levels my whole life, but I'm just determined not to be a fearful person. And you think about when you're doing in that helpless, learned helpless state, you're staying in the smallness of your circumstances and blaming God for it. So what I say that the recipe for vitality is, is learning that deep abiding rest. And that's not numbing out. It's not binge watching. I'm not being a legalist. I'm just saying there's an abiding rest that actually fills your soul again, but it's not just rest. It's then re-engaging your faith. Like, what do you believe in God for? Because I shudder to think of all the things we've cried out to God for, all the ways he's answered. And when the answer came to us, it didn't benefit us because we didn't change our hearts at all. It, when the answer came, it wasn't met by faith. So I submit to you that the recipe for vitality is when you're exhausted, when you're blaming God, get that deep rest and reconnect till you find peace again. And then rise up and say, I can't please you without faith. I want to be activating my heart. So when these answers come, I'm ready for it. I will see goodness when it comes. So good. Susie, in the last minute that we have here, when we talk about abiding rest, you're talking about something different than just taking a week's vacation or two weeks and sitting on the beach. Oh, yeah. There's something deeper than that because we can go away for a little bit, take a vacation, come back, and within 24 hours, we're in the same spot we were before vacation. Exactly. So what do you mean by abiding rest in, in Christ? Well, I will say God will never grind your gears to the point of exhaustion. So in his rhythm for you, there are always exit ramps besides still waters. And that's so different than what David did when he opted not to go to war. Because there will be times you want to rest. And he's like, no, you got to engage. But this abiding rest is being so on the heels of the Savior, so in step with him. When he leads you to get that nourishing rest, you take it. And you steward that time so your soul gets filled back up again. Susie Larson with us. She has written the book, Waking Up to the goodness of God, best-selling author, talk show host, national speaker. And we want to connect you with her and with this book. And you're going to find the link when you start at our Facebook page. You're just Don and Steve in the morning or text us. We'll send you the link 800-555-7898.